0: Let's uh let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 24:27. And I want to continue this series Tough Times, Tougher God. And I want to tell you today, I want to share on the subject God guides in tough times. God guides his people in tough times. We're dropping right into the middle of the story of Abraham sending his servant to retrieve a wife for his son Isaac. It's a painful time in the Abrahamic household because Sarah has died. And Sarah dying, Isaac apparently was very attached to her because one of the things Abraham said when he sent the servant to get Isaac's wife, and after the wife, that is Rebecca, came to Isaac, was that he was comforted after his mother's death. So there was some heartache in the Abrahamic household. And so we're, we're jumping into the middle of a tough time emotionally. And I want to show you how God guides in tough times. Now, let's look at uh, Genesis 24, 27. And he said, blessed be the... Now, this is the servant of Abraham talking. When he has found Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. Here's what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham. Who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way. Can everybody say that with me? I being in the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Now watch this. I being in the way. The Lord led me. Now how many of you want to be led by God? I mean if there was ever a day we need to be led. And I'm going to tell you something. I want you to really listen to this today because the days are coming when we're going to need to know how to be led by God, how to be led by God in tough times. And so stand with me one more time, and I want to say a prayer. I just want to say a prayer, and I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you today, and I want to tell you as you stand there and get ready to pray that God is going to lead you. God is going to guide you. And I'm going to show you today how to position yourself to be led and guided by God, how to position yourself. But let's pray. Father, we just pray right now. Everyone in here who has called out in the name of Christ is your child. And Lord, we need to understand guidance. Lord, you've got a plan for everyone in this sanctuary. And I pray you will guide us and lead us in the way. And I thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, God's going to guide you. All right. Well, I'll tell you, if I can't preach in the atmosphere today, I can't preach. The Lord really visited us today, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about what He's doing. I sense the hand of the Lord with us. And, uh, Let me just tell you today that first of all, there are two kinds of guidance, and I'm going to talk about the second kind next week. But there are two kinds. I'm going to call the first one direct guidance, conscious guidance. When God comes to you and says, This is the way, walk ye in it, an impression comes to your heart. The word speaks to you, the sense that you are supposed to do something comes to you. And I want you to know that God does that, God guides his children. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will come and guide you into all truth. When we look at the Bible, we find God directly guiding His people over and over again. Again, I say to you, the day is coming and the day is upon us. We really need to know the guidance of God. God's children need to know when God is guiding us. So next week, I'm going to talk to you about this direct kind of guidance. I'm going to call it Three Lights. To direct guidance. Don't miss next week. But today, I'm going to talk to you about the second kind, sovereign guidance. Sovereign guidance is best typified in the verse, uh, in the Psalms that says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And so uh, the, the, the sovereign guidance is when God orders your steps, whether you're aware of it or not. Can I tell you that God's bigger than you? Can I inform you that God's bigger than your circumstances? And can I tell you that God has every right in the world to order the steps of His people? And you don't have to be fully aware of it for God to guide you. Matter of fact, I guarantee you, you had some encounters this week that were guided and ordered by God, and you didn't know they were coming. I don't believe in chance. I believe in purpose. Matter of fact, you don't have a fate. You have a purpose. You're not a person of fate. You're a person of purpose. And so God guides us sovereignly. Now, I want to talk to you today about this sovereign guidance of God. Let me tell you, uh, just kind of in a nutshell, this story of Abraham. Here's what happened. Uh, When Abraham was old and well-advanced in years, you'll read about in the Bible, verse 1, Uh, When he was old and well advanced in in years, Sarah had died and, and he was looking at his son Isaac who was wifeless and he said, I've got to get a wife for my son Isaac. So the Bible says he called the oldest servant in his house and he said, I want you to do something. I want you to go to the land that we came from. Now Abraham was dwelling in the promised land and in the promised land there were Canaanites. He was dwelling in a land of warfare. He was dwelling in a land of enemies, but it was the promised land. And often, as a matter of fact, every time, your promised land will have enemies. Enemies that are trying to thwart you and discourage you from your promised land. And so he said, I don't want you to get a wife from the Canaanites. I want you to go to my hometown, and I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. Now the servant said, but what if she won't come with me? And Abraham said, if she won't come with you, then you're free of your vow. Now, the typology in this is strong. Abraham is a picture of Father God. Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ. The servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, or Abraham, sent a servant, the Spirit, to get a wife for his son. Now, that's what's happening in the earth today. If you want to know what God's doing in the earth today, the servant, the Holy Ghost, has been sent to get a wife for the son. And if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're a part of that wife. You are betrothed to Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that does it. This, that you saw down here today, all these people coming down here to get right, that's the activity of the Holy Spirit. No man comes to the Father except through the Spirit. The Spirit is the... Every time I pray for church, I pray the Holy Spirit walks into the building. I pray the Holy Spirit, who is not an it or a thing or a force, but the Spirit is a person, God the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit walks in and that He touches hearts. I pray it every time. I come to church to watch the Holy Spirit move. I don't come to church to watch me do something or you do something. I will come to watch the Holy Spirit move. And more times than not, I'm amazed. I'm I'm the most amazed spectator. But I'm a spectator. The Holy Spirit has been sent by God the Father into the earth to get a wife for His Son, Jesus. And one day the last person will repent. The last member of that bride will repent. And Jesus will say, that's it. And he's going to come and get his bride. And we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're not just a child of God, but you're a part of his bride. Okay? And so this story is is a metaphor. It's a picture. It's an illustration. Though it truly happened in history, it's a picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost and what he is doing today. Now the servant went into Mesopotamia. And he went to a little town, he stood outside the city, and he prayed this prayer, and he said, he said, oh God, I am praying that the woman you have called to be my master Isaac's wife, let her come and draw water at the well that I'm standing at, and not only draw water, but let her offer to water the camels that I have with me. Not only will she give me a drink, but she will give, offer herself to give a drink to the camels. And here's what he was saying. Lord, I'm believing you for an unselfish woman. I'm believing you for someone who is, who is a servant. And so it says before he had finished praying, Rebecca, beautiful, a virgin, comes walking to the well to draw water. She sees the servant and she says, let me give you a drink and he's standing there with his eyes wide open, thinking, could God have answered this fast? Could God have really answered this fast? And and so um, then as soon as she gives him a drink, she says the magic words, and I will go and get water out of the well, and I will also give a drink to your camels. And he said, hallelujah, hallelujah. God already answered my prayer. And so the servant got the bride for the son. Now, she was living with her brother and her mother. Don't know what happened to dad, but her brother Laban, Isaac and Rebekah's son Jacob would come to know quite well one day, but that's another story. But she's taken to the, uh, he's taken to the house, he's invited into, into Rebekah's house, and the servant tells Laban and her mother everything that he's come to do. And they say, well, it's, 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 it's to the praise of God. But then they looked at Rebecca and they said, do you want to go? And she said three simple words, I will go. And when she did that, she was a perfect picture of you and me when we say, I will receive him. Because she received the message of the servant that there was a husband waiting to bless her. And the servant bedecked her with gold and silver. And when you get saved, God gifts you. He gives you at least one gift according to the Gospel of Peter. He gives at least one gift. And so when you say yes to Jesus, the the Holy Spirit, God's servant, does the same thing for you. He gives you, first of all, Himself. He fills you with the Spirit. Then He gifts you to be a servant to other people. He gifts you with that which money cannot buy. And then He gets you ready to take you to your husband. And that's what we're all about, Every one of us who love the Lord, we're being prepared to be reintroduced to our heavenly husband. And it's not far off. It's not far off. And so she gets on the camels and they take her to Isaac and that's the story and the servant was successful. But now let me talk to you now. Practical. And I want to tell you what positioned this servant to be ready for the guidance he received because he was wonderfully, beautifully guided. I want to bring to your mind again one part of that verse. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Now, the way was more than just a location. It was more than just a geographical location. He was not saying, well, I being in the right place at the right time, I being in the right road on the right street, God led me. No, the way had more to do with location. The way had everything to do with how this man had lived for years. The way had a lot to do with his lifestyle, with his his servanthood, with things that marked his character. Church, I want to tell you something. God wants to lead everybody, but God can't lead everybody. Because not everybody wants to be led by God. Not everybody wants to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So it's very, very important that we understand what he meant. And I want to just pull that little phrase out of this verse, I being in the way, I being in the way. Some people are in God's way, and he can't do what he wants. But there are other people who are in the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if you are walking with Jesus, if he's your Savior... He not only saves you, but he gives you a lifestyle. He gives you a way to live, a way to treat people, a way to live morally, a way to lead your life. And it's a good way, and it's a healthy way, and it's the way to blessing, and it's the way to guidance. So I want to look at this servant because we're told enough about this servant that we get a real good idea of what the way was that he had been walking in as a man that positioned him for guidance. First of all, he was faithful. Can you say the word faithful with me? He was a faithful servant. Listen to what verse 2 says about him. Verse 2 says, So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had. Now, Abraham, we are told in the Bible, had tons of servants, lots of servants. But this was the oldest one. He looked out among all of his servants and he said, I want the one most faithful because this is so serious. I'm about to send a servant to go find a wife for my son. And not only is she going to live with him, but we got a real tight clan here and I'm going to have to live with her too. So, God, I need a servant. So he, he got a, the, the faithful servant. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Faithfulness is honored by God. Faithfulness is watched by God. Faithfulness is known by God. Can I just talk to those of you who may clean toilets for a, a living? Or you, you may be out there just raising some children and you feel like nobody notices, nobody cares, nobody gives you credit, nobody gives you honor. Or you may be working in a job where there is an unappreciative boss and every day you've got to put up with it but God has not let you leave and so there you are and every day you just faithfully go. Can I tell you that no matter whether a human being sees you or not, God Almighty is watching you every move you make. God is watching your faithfulness. Jesus said, He that is faithful in the little things will be made made ruler over much. If you're faithful in the mediocre, if you're faithful in the ordinary, if you're faithful in the common, if you're faithful in the little things that God gives you to do, practical things that don't seem spiritual to you, yet faithfulness is a spiritual character quality that God is developing in you, and God watches the faithful, and get ready, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way to be promoted is to serve, and as you are faithful, God is marking it god's got it on his calendar god is taking note of it you are in his eyes you are on his heart god sees it and he's going to bless you in tough times the bible laments in proverbs a faithful man who can find faithfulness is so rare that the writer of proverbs said "I, i can't hardly find a faithful man God says in the Word of God, My eye shall be on the faithful of the land to give them their meat in due season. God sees you being faithful. He sees you in the shadows. He sees you where nobody sees you. He watches your heart, watches your activities. He keeps track of everything you do. His eye never leaves you. And the Bible says particularly, if you want to know what God's looking at, if you want to know what God is focused on, it says His eye is on the faithful of the land. And what is he going to do? He's going to give you your meat in due season. You be faithful in what you know to do and God is going to bless you with what you cannot do. God will take care of the faithful. The Bible says be not weary in well doing for in due season you will reap. In due season your reaping time is going to come. A harvest is on the way. Don't faint in being faithful. Be faithful. Don't be weary in doing good because somebody up there is watching you do good. Every time you're good, every time you bless somebody, every time you obey Him in the little things. You know, when God touched my life, when I was 18 years old, I, got, I had an incredible, powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. I was just a hippie kid. Never got past the ninth grade. Now, I have since then, so don't look at me scared like, Uh-oh. But at the time that I got saved, I hadn't gotten past the ninth grade, never went through 10th, 11th or 12th, never did. And yet God saved me. And when God saved me, he filled me with the spirit one night in a way that was just absolutely transforming. You can call it what you want, baptism in the spirit, filling of the spirit, touch of the spirit. I don't care what you call it. We won't worry about semantics. I can just tell you that it was an overwhelming, powerful experience that just totally rocked my world he poured out in my heart the love of god by the holy ghost and it rocked my world changed me and it began to to work in me and 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 i began to experience a desire to minister his word a fire to minister his word and yet, the first assignment God gave me, I was going to a Bible study that was packed with young people every week. I didn't darken the door of a real church for years to come. Well, that is a real church building. It was a real church when all of us met. But packed with young people, just like me, a bunch of long-haired hippie types, the wire rim glasses, ex-druggies, ex-dopers, ex-this and that and the other. Everybody was ex-something. And we got in there and we worshiped God And I learned how to worship God. And the first assignment that was ever given me, the leader of the Bible study said, Jeff, would you lead a little prayer meeting out in the backyard? It was at a house, out in the backyard, about an hour before we have our meeting. And I said, Oh man, I would be so honored to do that. I was already there every time the doors opened and was there after the doors were closed. I hated leaving church. But. I went back there every week. It was no problem with me. About five, six of us got out there, and I just led this little prayer meeting, and I began to ask God to bless this, this Bible study, and kids were being saved right and left and d- uh, delivered of demons from occult practices, set free of drugs, set free of cigarettes, set free of alcohol. I mean, it was deliverance time all the time, and we were just praying out there, but inside of Jeff Wickwire, something was beginning to happen. I was beginning to experience this burning to minister the word. But I had horrible stage fright. Horrible. Terrible. Two or more people, my lower lip would shake. I'd feel the heat rising in my face. And I had this, I was convinced there's nothing I could say that would mean anything to anybody. So the last person God would ever call to preach is me. And yet this burning just got worse and worse. And I understand Jeremiah's words when he said, your word was like a fire shut up in my bones and I could not keep it in. And that's what began to happen. And so God saw that. And you know what? God was authoring that. And here I was, I was just being faithful to lead a little prayer meeting, just five or six of us out back. And one day this leader came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and he said, can you lead this meeting? And I fainted I went into panic mode. I said, me? What you, me? You mean? You, well, sure, I'll lead the prayer. He said, no, I want you to teach. It terrified me. I couldn't eat. I didn't have to fast because I couldn't eat. <laughs> there wasn't any problem about fasting. I couldn't eat. I was terrified. I told him, you got the wrong guy. I can't do it. I'm not ready. I've never done it. He said, it's you. It's you. I said, you know what? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but I learned to see I was just being faithful and God's eye was on the faithful of the land and that faithfulness to servanthood was setting me up for a blessing and a promotion well I finally long story short I agreed to do it and I'm going to tell you terrified in the word I don't think I moved I think I looked like a wooden Indian sitting on a stool just talking because the guy whose place I was taking was really good Really good. That's one of the reasons the meeting was so good. But God began to do it. And God led me into preaching the Word. And that was when I was 18. That was 37 years ago. And I've never stopped since. And the fire has never left. And God has always made a way. And He'll make a way for you. He'll guide you when you're faithful. You just find something to do in the house of God and do it. I, being in the way of faithfulness, the servant said, the Lord led me. So, Pastor, I can't find the will of God. Just get into the house of God and find something to do and start doing it. If nothing else, just start worshiping the Lord in the house of God. Just get in the house of God. Get somewhere where the river is flowing and just do something. Serve. Now, the second thing about this servant is he was flowing in God's divine program for that time period. He was flowing in God's divine program for that time period. Now I want you to listen to this verse. It describes the ministry of Abraham. And this is very, very important because Abraham is what God was doing in that time period. Genesis 24, verse 7 says this, The Lord God of heaven, this is Abraham talking, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He's telling his servant, you're serving God's man for the hour, God's plan for the hour. He said, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. Here's what Abraham was saying to him. This is what God is doing in our day. Abraham was the beginning of the covenant people. It was through Abraham that the Messiah was ultimately going to come. It was through Abraham that the Semitic race, the Jewish people, got the promised land called Israel. It was Abraham who went to the promised land in obedience to God, not knowing where he was going. And he went and took the land and his descendants took the land and lived in the land. And it was in that land where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it was from the Abrahamic descendants that Jesus Christ the Messiah was born and brought to the earth. Abraham was what God was doing in that day. And what did this servant do? He got himself smack in the middle of what God was doing in his day. Now can I tell you, God is not doing what Abraham was doing in our day. I'll tell you who the guy is in our day. His name is Jesus Christ and that is what God is doing in our day. Jesus is God's plan for our day. History is racing toward the end of time and standing at the end of that road is Jesus Christ. He will judge all of history. It's all going to stop with him. And as I already shared with you today, his spirit is moving all over the earth, gathering a bride for Jesus Christ. People are being saved as we speak by the thousands and hundreds of thousands all over this world. God is getting together the bride that's going to be raptured one day. And I'm telling you, when that rapture happens, about 30 million people in America are going to disappear. You say, do you really believe that, Pastor Jeff? Well, sure I do. He got the snail into the ark. I don't know where that came from. He got the snail into the ark. Two of every kind he led to that ark. They were all in there in that ark when the end came. If he can get a snail into the ark and a lion into the ark, and a skunk into the ark, and a possum into the ark, and a coon into the ark, and a rhino into the ark, bless God, he can get you to church. It's a supernatural drawing of the Holy Spirit, and it's happening right now. And listen, what you do if you want to be guided by God is you get into what God... Find out what God is doing and do it. When I lived in Austin, I lived near the San Gabriel River. Beautiful river. Lived in Austin for about a year. and I used to go down to the San Gabriel River. I used to just watch it flow by. It was beautiful. Beautiful place, beautiful country. And I liked just going there and watching the river flow by. But you know what? Let me tell you something. The day came when I decided to jump in. I got an inner tube and I jumped in. As long as I stood on the bank and watched it, it didn't move me, it didn't influence me, it didn't impact me, it didn't direct me, it didn't anything. But when I got that inner tube and jumped in, all of a sudden I was being moved by something bigger than me moved by something stronger than me it took me through turns it took me down ways past these beautiful limestone walls i saw things i would never have seen had i not gotten into that river now some of you you sit at the banks watching the holy ghost move you come to church on sunday and the rest of the week you don't have a whole lot to do with the lord but i'm going to tell you something it's time to jump in because if you jump in I'll tell you, it, it, it's, it's it's the sissies that sit out there and watch that river go by and say, yeah, I know about that river. Oh, I go to church every week. Oh, yeah, I watch people get saved every week. Oh, I know all about that river. But you can know about it and not enjoy it. You can know about it and not flow in it. You can know about it and not be influenced by it or carried by it or directed by it. There comes a day when you've got to say, bless God. He walked up Golgotha's hill for me. He died on that cross for me. I'm jumping into the plan of God and you jump in. And when I gave my life wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ and I began to do what He was doing and I jumped into the flow, I've been bobbing down that river ever since. It's flowing, it's bubbling, it's real. The psalmist said there is a river which makes glad the people of God. If you want joy, let go. If you want excitement, let go. If you want a life that is fulfilled, let go. It's always bothering me that people make fun of Simon Peter because he sank. Can I tell you, Peter walked on water. He got out of the boat and he was walking, not on water, but he was walking on the word of God. Jesus had said to him, come. That's all you need from Jesus is one word, come. And he got out of that boat and walked on the water. He wasn't walking on water. He was walking on the Word of God. Folks, I'm telling you, it's time to jump into the flow people are being saved people are being delivered god is moving in the earth i don't want to stand at the creek b- side of the uh, the side of the creek at the creek bank and watch it all go by i want to be a player i don't want to be a bench warmer i want to be a player i want to be involved i want to be used of god i want to get out there and see lives change i want to be anointed i want to be appointed pastor, why don't you get excited? Okay, I will. I am. The time is short. He's about to return. His purpose is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. His spirit is flowing, touching people in the name of Jesus Christ. Step into that flow. Don't be an observer. Don't just be a spectator. Be a participator. In what God is doing. There is nothing like watching people get touched by the Holy Spirit. Only one time in the New Testament is the word addicted, addicted used. It's talking about the household of Stephanus, and it says they have addicted themselves, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. After a while, it flows in your veins. After a while, you get hooked on seeing God move. After a while, you got to have that fix every day. got to have that fix every day. I, I want to see God move. And, 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 and the, the devil's doing his best to sideline some of you, to get you discouraged, and to get you want, wanting to faint and give up and walk away. He's fought you in your promised land, but you can't let him take it from you. You've got to guard your call. You've got to guard what God's put His hand on you to do. You can't let the devil take it from you. This is the day. This is the hour. This is the time. This is the moment when God is moving. If you're part of what God is doing, you will find doors will swing open. Finances will flow. Mountains will be moved to make a way for what God is doing in your life. I being in the way of what God was doing, He led me. Now let me tell you one last thing. The Bible says about this servant that he expected God to guide him. He expected it. He said, give me success this day. But then he said something very, very key. He said, show kindness to me for my master Abraham's sake. Now, here's the key to prayer, and I want to leave you with this. God doesn't bless you just for you. Every prayer that God answers for you, he does it because of Jesus. See, this servant knew, he's not going to lead me to Isaac's wife because of me. He said, I'm going to appeal to something higher. I'm going to appeal to God that I'm doing this for his servant Abraham. And Abraham is what God is doing in the earth. God is raising up the Jewish race to bring forth Messiah. Abraham is God's plan for my time period, the servant said. So I'm going to do this for him. And he said, Lord, for Abraham's sake, bless my way. Now, we're in a new day. We're in a new covenant. We're in the New Testament. But let me tell you something about God. When you say, Lord, I'm not in this for me, I'm in this for you. For Jesus' sake, I'm asking you to provide. For Jesus' sake, I'm asking. I, I prayed over this building. I said, Lord, for Jesus' sake, get us into that building. For Jesus' sake, give us a place to meet because you know that I'm going to preach your gospel and you know that we're going to go for souls and you know that we're going to lift up your name and you know that I'm not going to throw the word of God out the back door and walk away from you. You know, Lord, that I'm going to stand for you and I am not going to get watered down, diluted, polluted. I am going to preach the gospel. You know that, Lord. So make a way for Jesus' sake. And he made a way. He made a way. So it's a powerful prayer when you say, Lord, I'm your child, and I'm in your program, and I'm in your river, and I'm flowing in your purpose for me, and I have been faithful in the house of God. Now, Lord, provide for me for Jesus' sake, because when you get blessed, it's a testimony. (laughs) We can expect God to guide us for Jesus' sake. All that God does, he does it for Jesus' sake. That's why he said, Jesus, that is, in my name, you will ask for anything and it will be done for you in my name. Why? Because when God hears his name, it rings the bells in heaven. When he hears Jesus' name, it moves his heart. He blesses us for his Son's sake. He guides us for his Son's sake. He delivers us for the sake of his Son. He heals us. He blesses us. He enriches us. He restores us for his Son's sake so that we can be a glory to his Son in the earth. There's something more important than what you're doing, and it's what God is doing. In the earth, you're his ambassador. I being in the way, the way, the Lord led me. I being in the way of faithfulness. I being in the way of God's program for the hour. I being in the way of faith that he will guide me. He led me. He led me. Here's Isaac gets out of his tent, looks out there on the horizon, and the camels were coming. And on one of those camels was his wife. You know what? Soon the Lord's going to look down, and the camels are going to be coming. Can you stand with me? Next week, don't forget, three lights. Three lights to direct guidance. But right now, I want us to have a prayer together that God will help us position ourselves, that our steps will be ordered by the Lord, and He'll delight in our way. If you want the Lord to guide you, even when you don't know it, Will you lift your hand? Amen. That's the sovereign guidance of God. Let's pray together as a church family. Can we say, Lord Jesus, I position myself to follow you, to be faithful in your house, to jump into what you're doing, and to expect you to guide me. Lord, I don't know everything but you can guide me anyway. Now, with every head bowed for a moment, if you could say, Pastor Jeff, I feel like God has guided me to this place, to this church. You have a peace that this is your home. I felt impressed by the Spirit of God to give an invitation today to people who feel like this is your home church. See, God guides us to a church. And the Bible says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord flourish in the courts of our God. There's something about being planted in a church where you can put down roots, get to know the people, and release that servanthood, that faithfulness in the house. God will speak to you there. And I believe it's very key when God guides us to a church home. So you've got a peace in your heart. So How do I know, Pastor? Well, you feel at home, and there's a peace, and you're drawn here. The Spirit draws you.